It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Takes a shot. Here's Corey Davis, wide open. Davis. Still going, and he's in for the touchdown. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's the q Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studios. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And I'm happy to have back on the show to talk about what the Jets did this offseason, a contributor at playlikeajet.com. But his day job, senior political correspondent for National Review, Mr. Jim Garrity. Jim, welcome back to the show, sir. Scott, this might be the best mood I've been in doing your show. (laughs) And, you know, it it, it says a lot about where the Jets have been. I think it says a lot about where the Jets are are going. Um, This is, you know, the the, usually the slowest part of the football calendar. We've been through free agency, been through the draft. But, uh, you know, generally kind of, you know, tune out of of football news for the next couple of weeks. But uh, I guess we are two months away from opening up uh, training camp. Not even a month and a half. It's crazy. It's wow, right around okay. the corner. Be here before you know it. As I was teasing Andy Vasquez of NorthJersey.com, he'll be bringing six-gallon jugs of water with him, the 90-degree practices, before he knows it. It'll be here any day now. So he's got to get ready for that. As I've joked, I'm just glad that I'm not the one out there in the boiling sun covering it, let alone practicing. But that's part of the job. And part of the job of Robert Sala is to come in and turn things around for this team. You said that this is the best mood that you've been in since you've come on the show. And in fairness, should point out that this show began in 2017 so there hasn't exactly been a lot to be (laughs) happy about since this show started up but i definitely sense a huge crate of optimism emanating from many jets fans just like you just said so let's start with salah he's a big part of the reason why people seem to be so optimistic right now there's a lot to like with him i think and it goes back to the fact that adam gase's Opening press conference was the exact opposite of what you would have wanted for somebody that had a lot of question marks around him to begin with. He did nothing to help that and in fact made it worse with Robert Sala. Everybody was enthused and then Sala came in, had that press conference and jacked everybody's expectations up even higher. So let's talk about Sala first. What do you think about the unceremonious end of Adam Gase and the beginning now of Robert Sala? Well, yeah, Scott, let me let me step back and give a really big picture. Um, and this goes beyond, you know, the Jets, sports, uh, uh, even even, you know, what I, my day job of politics. It's kind of like your philosophy and your outlook on life and, and kind of your sense of where humanity and the world is going. I think if you look back over the last hundred years, there have probably been like four major turning points to put a world on the right path or on a better path than what we had before. Probably VE Day and VJ Day in World War II. I'll count those as one. Uh, I think the moon landing in 1969 has to be up there. Three, 1989, I'd say the fall of the Berlin Wall. And I think four 
came in 2021 with the firing of Adam Gase. I put it right up there in major human accomplishments is driving Adam Gase out of this organization when he never really should have been in the first place. I exaggerate slightly, but if you give me a list of history's greatest monsters, Gase, Gase will crack the top 10. I, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I guess here's the thing is that, I, and I've made this point probably in some previous ones, so I won't dwell on it, but like every football fan base of, of a team thinks they know better than the owner thinks that they know everything. Oh, this is so obvious. If you made me GM, I'd have us, you know, winning the Super Bowl in a year, you know, that kind of stuff. And in a lot of cases, it's exaggerated. But you go back and you look at how people are reacting to the hire of Adam Gase. I don't remember a single enthusiastic response from any corner of the Jets fandom. There may have been a couple, oh, okay, let's wait and see. So, you know, like a really kind of like forcing cautious optimism. This is before the, the weird bug-eyed press conference. After that, there's like, I remember there was a beginning of training camp of that first year. Players were saying the right things. They looked okay in preseason. And I was like, eh, okay, maybe this will look all right. Maybe this is, you know. But a lot of folks point out he hadn't, you know, he'd come fresh off the Dolphins job. Nobody had been wowed. He, he you know, um, he's a tactician who keeps doing the same things over and over again. He alienates the players. He's terrible with the media. You keep looking at Adam Gay. He's allegedly an offensive genius who keeps running Frank Gore up the middle. You know, like it was like I kept asking after every utterly disappointing, diff, like boring, and painful to watch game last year. What is Adam Gase good at? And I never got any good solid answers from it, either from fans or from people who cover the team and stuff like that. So, um, just by sheer, we all kind of knew from like week two or three that Gase was going to leave, and yet they had to go through that you know baton death march of a season. Um, and so now, so then the question, all right, so who are the Jets going to replace him with? Scott, this is the first off season where I have, I can recall where I just have like almost nothing, I want to say nothing to complain about, but very little to complain about. And it's, it's, you know, tinkering around the edges kind of stuff. I don't think there was a better choice out there than Robert Sala. Uh, I, you know, I, there's a little bit of talk, you know, oh, could you convince somebody like Bill Cower to come out of retirement or something? Ideally, like the best, if the best case scenario is a proven Super Bowl winner. Bill Parcells 2.0, right? Somebody who walks in with instant credibility as a guy who's got that Super Bowl ring, who can point to those Lombardi trophies and say, hey, I've done this before. I know what it takes. Everybody get in line with my philosophy and my program. That'd be, if that's the A plus selection, then Robert Sala is like an A minus selection, maybe B plus, right? He's, you know, he is a, you know, if not a proven winner, then a very proven effective coordinator. And I can hear every Jet fan going, ah, because we've had some, proven effective defensive coordinators and the likes of Todd Bowles and Rex Ryan. Um, but everybody else in the league loves him. The players love him. The other coaches rave about him. Everybody, and I think it's kind of fascinating. We've already seen this in the press conferences, how much Robert Sala, he conveys both toughness and accountability. And yet also like this generally sunny, um, just, you know, enthusiasm, his whole slogan of, you know, all gas, no brakes, uh, but I hope that's not the way he drives, Scott. That, that's not always a philosophy you want everywhere in life. But on the football field, I like that. Um, it's already kind of this signature attitude of the team. Um, I, I, I'm not going to pretend to say, oh, I know exactly that the uh, Lafleur and the, the coordinators were the absolute right choices. But Sala is so respected around the league and just seems to have that attitude, that confidence-building uh, not smug, not cocky, not quite, you know, Rex Ryan, but I will make the observation, Scott. Um, Gase was terrible all across the board. 
Todd Bowles, who we've seen now win a Super Bowl as the defensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Bowles, Todd Bowles may very well be a better coach than he was with the Jets. It may have been very bad circumstances. But man, Todd Bowles was the Sphinx for like four years on that sideline. Right? Not an emotionally expressive guy. Not a guy who was fired up and, and he was going to get... So I don't need everybody to be... Um, uh, if, if you do too much emotion, you can turn into Jerry Glanville. If you do too much emotion, you can turn into Buddy Ryan punching other coordinators out on the sideline and things like that. But I remember like between of the last couple of Jets coaches who've all been kind of disappointing, at least Rex Ryan was always interesting. At least Rex Ryan made you tune in and you could, you know, on his good days, Rex Ryan could get the team really super duper fired up. The great irony is Rex Ryan couldn't get the team fired up for the routine game against Buffalo the following week after the big game, you know? Um, so I think just Robert Sala, like, look, anybody was going to be better than Adam Gase. Adam Gase was the worst possible one. I think he is the best of all options that were available this year. And I, you know, reason I'd actually be pretty surprised if we didn't see Robert Sala earn his way to a second contract. Um, I feel really good. I think the executive style approach is, is kind of what this team has needed. Love the clear lines of responsibility. I love the fact that he reports to Douglas instead of this weird two-headed monster where the GM and the coach both report to the owner. Um, I, I put myself in, I, I am just, I'm moving past the Fox Mulder poster on his wall of I want to believe. And I'm starting to believe in Robert Sala, although having been said, I probably should wait until I see actual play on the field before I, I reach that point of utter faith. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Speaking of actual play on the field, the Jets made some moves to make that actual play on the field better this year. They went out and got Corey Davis. That was the big move on the offensive side of the ball. Big receiver to add into that core. And then on the defensive side of the ball, the big move, they finally went out and spent some money on an edge rusher. The last time they did that was Calvin Pace. Calvin Pace was fine. Didn't turn out to be the guy that they were hoping he would be, but he was still a long-tenure Jet and productive. Carl Lawson comes in here. There were other moves too, but those were the two big ones. What would you think of free agency for the Jets this year? You know, I think a couple of, you know, probably two, three years ago, you and I had done a show and I had come up with my like wildly overambitious and probably, you know, uh, cap unfriendly uh, idea of how to rebuild the Jets, which involved going bonkers in, in free agency. And uh, they did not pursue that package. They did not pursue that approach. And so I went into free agency and when they couldn't sign a guard, um, I, I was, you know, and we, we went into this thing, oh God, they need, you know, interior offensive line and they need cornerbacks and they didn't do either. Uh, so I was initially disappointed. Then they signed Carl Lawson. Like, okay, all right, that's a serious. Okay, that guy's you know takes the defensive line, which has always been underperforming. We have a serious edge rusher, which we've probably needed since the days of John Abraham. It's, you know, apologies to Calvin Pace. They've had, they've had some okay guys here and there, but there hasn't been anybody who like stirs fear. And then Corey Davis. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't initially watch a lot of, uh, or I didn't have a chance to watch a lot of t Tennessee Titans games live last year. Um, so then I, you know, so I watched the, the, the highlight films and all kind of stuff. You look at the size. Like, oh, okay. That is a real, genuine, A number one, you know, wide receiver number one right there. Um, who, you know, if he's good. And then you're like, okay, you put him next to Mims. Okay, that's looking pretty good. You look him next to Mims and Crowder. Okay, no, I got three guys who look pretty good. And we haven't even gotten to the draft off before there. And I think, so look, obviously Davis and Lawson are the two big, you know, star signings and the biggest uh, things. But then the interesting thing is that the Jets, you know, they didn't, again, they didn't address interior offensive line. They didn't really address cornerback that much. 
And then you start going down and you're like, well, wait a second, actually, with all of this, you know, by the way, it's been several consecutive off seasons where the Jets went in with either the most cap room or like, you know, the, you know, second most by, you know, and all, you know, and they just, you'd be like, okay, well, it's time to get out the shopping cart and just start accumulating players because as, you know, salary cap room is a big pile of money where a better player is supposed to be, right? Salary cap room is good one time in the course of the year when free agency starts. After that, it's just stuff where you were supposed to go out and get a player. Yeah, idea. It's nothing wrong. You know, like it's, it's like having savings that you never actually spend. Go out and get it. So you go down the list, and all of a sudden you realize, okay, Tevin Coleman. I'm not expecting him to be a superstar running back, but he can catch out of the backfield. He knows the system, um, and he should definitely be a piece of the puzzle. Keenan Cole, ironically, he's the guy who I kind of wonder where he fits now that they're kind of getting a logjam um, with this because he was supposed to be wide receiver number four, and we'll add to how that you know. Con- future got complicated in the draft but if Keenan Cole is your fifth wide receiver boy that's pretty fine that's pretty good um we should also point out that the Brashad Perriman signing of last year was was abysmal uh it was one of the true genuine missteps of Joe Douglas's you know brief tenure so far um Sheldon Rankin's a defensive tackle Scott I don't know about you but I've gotten um wary about guys named Sheldon on the defensive <laughs> line but you know I look back at what he'd done at the Saints and he looks like a very solid pickup and the interesting thing is, you're like, okay, this is a solid pickup. Yeah, he's coming off an injury. All right, so he's not a he's not a sure thing. But him next to Quinn and Williams, well, all of a sudden now you got two defensive tackles who look pretty darn good. Um, you know, who can line up against each other. And then you, oh, well, we went out and got another guy, Vinnie Curry. Well, now all of a sudden with Lawson, now all of a sudden you've almost got this logjam of uh, defensive linemen. But that's okay. Because one, long, defensive linemen get dinged up quite a bit. They're always, you know, running into other people's bodies and clashing with, you know, uh, that stuff. And, and the second thing is that, you know, you're going to need that depth. You rotate them in and fresh. Again, didn't get a cornerback, but they went out and got LaMarcus Joyner. Now, probably another conversation for another day is whether in the league, you know, we, we, there's always this, you know, there's probably the, of all the things Chris Johnson had said in his defense of Adam Gase, the two worst ones were that he was an offensive genius. No, he's not. And then the second thing was he's coaching to where the game was going. Uh, Scott, does running Frank Gore up the middle seem like where football is going? <laughs> yeah. Where well, football was of. like forty or fifty years ago <laughs> is where the foot is where that was. But um, the, uh, there, there's this interesting. You see how the, the the game evolves. You see running backs become much less value. The next weird shift I think we're seeing is that the linebacker and safety positions are starting to almost morph into each other, almost starting to overlap. And we saw a couple of guys in the draft who they took with that. Um, you know, I think uh, Ash, LaMarcus Joyner, um, now, you know, you have somebody to put opposite uh, uh, Marcus May. I'm a little wary about Ashton Davis so far, but it's early, so I'm not going to worry too much. Um, now all of a sudden, at least you're solid at the safety positions and maybe you can do more with that. Jared Davis, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. I have no idea what to expect from this guy. And it was kind of underwhelming because he was one of the first one. Um, Dan Feeney, I don't really expect him to be a major contributor in the offensive line, but I do believe there's an excellent chance that at this time next year, Scott, uh, Dan Feeney will be the official mascot of the New York Islanders. <laughs> Not a bad gig. I mean, everybody loves him. He's a, he's a, who's the comedian he looks like? Um, on HBO all the time, but anyway, yeah. So there's that. Um, Justin Hardy looks like a special teams guy, you know, guy. Not really a corner cover cornerback, but you know what? Jets special teams have been really disappointing the last couple of years. Signing a guy who can actually help out with that could be a good. Uh, Tyler Croft looks like a, a blocking tight end primarily, but that's fine. We could always use one of those. And I think 
one of the more interesting things I've heard on sports radio down here in DC the last couple of days is that they think the Eagles want to get rid of Zach Ertz. And there's some, some speculation that uh, because of Joe Douglas connection, he might go to the Jets. Wouldn't mind that. I'm still hoping Chris Herndon can like, you know, turn into the guy we saw his rookie year, but with each passing year, that becomes less likely to happen. So all of a sudden you just kind of add all that up. That's a very stacked free agents class. And most of them are on short-term contracts other than Lawson and Davis. All of them look like they should be able to contribute and contribute immediately. A couple of them like Jared Davis look a little bit more like a, like a, a bit of a project, you know, or a gamble, but um, all in all, the Jets came out of free agency with more talent than they did going in probably the least talented team in the league in that situation. But, you know, nonetheless, you look at that and you're like, okay, Joe Douglas, a boy. And then he went into the draft and, you know, Scott, you want to talk about unfamiliar feelings. I, I've got really nothing to complain about, at least for the first four rounds of the draft. Was it Danny McBride that you were talking about? There you go. Thank you. <laughs> I could totally see that one. That makes sense. They're already selling shirts with his image on it with the Islanders. So like you said, he may have a career working for that team after he's done with the New York Jets. But you just brought up the draft, and we'll get into that in part two of our discussion tomorrow. In the meantime, though, make sure that you're following Jim on Twitter at Jim Garrity and read all the work that he's done for us over at playlikeajet.com where you can find a ton of fresh material including the latest on Morgan Moses. Clayton Smarslock wrote a great piece about what the benefits of that signing would be for the Jets. Sharman Phillips got a really good article up right now about Robert Salas strategy at cornerback and how it's going to involve youth and a lot of risk if they don't bring in a veteran to help bring along the young group. That's a really intriguing read, so check that out. And check out everything that we're doing on the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. Luke Grant has some great film reviews. Elijah Moore, Zach Wilson, both Michael Carters. Plus, he's got eight minutes of breakdown on why Quinn Williams is one of the top five interior defensive linemen in the league. He's got one on the concepts that the Jets should steal from the L.A. Rams offense. And the new one that he put up, we talked about Morgan Moses before when I mentioned Clayton Smarslock's article on why it would be a good signing for the Jets. There's a great video that Luke put together. It's all 28 plays from Morgan Moses' matchup against TJ Watt. So if you want to see what Morgan Moses looks like against one of the best edge rushers in the league and evaluate for yourself whether or not you think it would be a wise investment for the Jets to get Morgan Moses, that video is available right now. It's all on our YouTube channel. Subscribe if you haven't already. And if you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, we really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time. Doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you can go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. We'll be back with part two of our discussion on the 2021 offseason with Jim Garrity tomorrow. But in the meantime, don't forget to visit the website, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and give us a five-star review on the podcast because you know for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, there's only one place to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and PlayLikeAJet.com. <laughs>